Welcome to Thorn Industries, building an empire that thrives on the misfortune of others since 1889. Don't forget, bring your dog to work day and mind the elevators. <laughs> Welcome back, DFM fam, to week three of our Taste of the UK month. If you're tuning in for the first time, or the first time in a while anyways, we started our August Taste of the UK month with BBC's made-for-TV movie Ghost Watch. The last week, Carrie and I talked about the steamy, swinging, blood-sommier vampire film. Yeah, you guessed it. Jose Ramon Larraz's flick, Vampires, with a Y to be exact. But not everything can just be historical or Eurogem or, well, I don't know, Euro C grade if you don't enjoy things like The Howling 2. See, Carrie? You knew I'd find a way to bring up The Howling 2 at least one more time. You can't resist. I can't resist, Sybil Danny. <laughs> Sometimes, on our cozy little horror pod, we talk horror classics that were mainstream hits. And for good reason. Okay, we're back to historical reasons. Technically, though, Carrie, this isn't just a UK film we're about to talk about. This is an American UK film. This is an American UK Italian horror film. This is a cross cultural and religious horror film of the American UK Italian Israeli. You get the point. This is a global horror film with apocalyptic end times implications. I do love my apocalyptic. Apocathery What? My end of days movies My end of days movies Apostles? Yes, the twelve apostles Um, I know what you meant Wow, we're a little We're a little slow moving here And I did sleep in So I don't know what my problem is Yeah, so This is a horror film An apocalyptic Horror film Thank you with all of the above, plus there's children involved, which always makes it creepier. When we think of the 70s, horror, cross-cultural, religious themes with child actors at the forefront, almost automatically, I'm getting agitated out of the gate here, someone brings up the Zodiac Killer's favorite film. <sighs> The Exorcist. Why? Why do people... This is just my rant for today. Keep pairing the omen with the exorcist. It needs to stop. I know that a little girl is possessed and the devil's involved, but the omen is not a possession movie. It's a completely different story. And every time that I see YouTube personalities review the omen for the billionth time, they bring up the exorcist, which I guess I'm exacerbating my perceived problem when reviewing the omen. I enjoy the exorcist. I enjoy it. Maybe even a little bit more than you do, Carrie. Oh yeah. I think it's a fantastic film. I think it's a completely different film with a different premise than The Omen. And I'm, I might tick a lot of people off with this. 
I love the Omen movie more than the Exorcist movie. I do too. And I get really peeved when people say, this is a very good movie. This has Gregory Peck in it. This has an award-winning score. And on and on and on. But yet it's not the Exorcist. Stop fucking comparing this to the Exorcist, please. It is not the same movie whatsoever. Okay, and rant, and we don't like to gatekeep, but when I like, it's like somebody stop talking about the Exorcist when we talk about the Omen, which turns around and makes me have to talk about the Exorcist some damn more. I think the reason why people compare the two is well, and because Rosemary's of the death. Baby is yeah. because of the deaths. Hmm. I think that is yeah. why. And we'll go into that yeah. a little bit later. So, um, again, The Exorcist is a classic. But truth be told, this one is going to grab the non-horror fan and ditch the gross-out foul language factor for world-renowned Academy Award-winning actors, Academy Award-winning scores, international settings, atmosphere, and freaky mammals triggered by the spawn of Satan. Okay, The Exorcist did not convert people, non-horror fans, into horror fans. They stuck their flag firmly into those factors that I just mentioned. They, The Exorcist, in my humble opinion, is not the olive branch to, to non-horror fans. It doubles down on the shock factor. The omen will bring people to the table that like, are not horror fans like my mom because it's a dramatic mystery paranoia thriller and oh yeah it's got to be legit because it's gregory peck yeah and, and this is not a knock on the exorcist this is a knock on the people that have to feel the need to keep comparing this to the exorcist just stop <laughs> so I, I mean i'm just gonna say right here People like my mom, who's not a horror movie lover at all. She loves thriller movies. She loves Hitchcock. Yeah. This is where... Alfred Hitchcock could have made this film. Yes, he could have. Yeah. Very well. Um, my mom and I watched The Omen together, without a doubt. That's, yeah. that's how I saw this. I mean, she loves Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck, any movie that Gregory Peck in... We watched <laughs> Gregory Peck. And <laughs> Sorry, Gregory Peck. I mean, her. Was in. <laughs> yeah, we can go into this more detail later. Okay, but you have thriller, you have the non-horror lover, and you have Gregory Peck. So wherever you fall on the horror spectrum, where you are more horror adjacent, and you're more into the Hitchcockian type thrillers or any suspense thrillers, um. Even Richard Donner at one point when he was interviewed had said that this is a, a film about group paranoia. Um, this uh, We just got done watching a 70s interview with Gregory Peck, and the interviewer actually had asked Gregory Peck, who is Richard Donner? Because at the time, other than made-for-TV movies, Kojak, although it wasn't known as Kojak at the time, nobody knew who Richard Donner was. So this is for his first big directorial debut. He did a fantastic job. I don't... I mean, he could have retired after this, and that's not even counting. We'll get into Richard Donner a little bit later, but there's a lot to be said about The Omen. Okay, we are all here. And again, not a knock on The Exorcist. 
the omen or as we like to call in episode 27 gregory peck can do no wrong and that's about accurate oh you know what the loyal Meryl mare <laughs> the loyal horse the loyal male wolf is early for once scary thank you male wolf good boy so let's hear what jake the midnight traveler has to say right out of the gate about the omen case and carry when the jews return to zion and a comet rips the sky and the holy roman empire rises then you and i must die from the eternal sea he rises creating armies on either shore turning man against his brother till man exists no more now that is what you would call a bold statement hello again my hellacious horror hounds it's me jake the midnight traveler here once again to tell the tale of another epic film from our favorite section of the video store Tonight, we look at a true late 20th century classic from the man who brought us The Goonies, the Lethal Weapon franchise, and a few episodes of Gilligan's Island? Random, I know, but there is nothing random about the thrills, kills, and chills of 1976's classic The Omen. Some call it a thriller, or pretty much any other thing to try to not say what it really is, which is, of course, a horror film of the higher order. With a big budget, sharp script, and some of the most intricate and elaborate kills ever captured on celluloid, this one is another cornerstone of any horror fan's collection. Sure was for me. Let me take you back. 1995 is when I made the choice. Determination and desire won out over fear and trepidation, and as I was getting to the end of elementary school, I decided that I was going to start watching horror films. For most of my life, I was both terrified and fascinated by them, but until then had been too chicken to step up to the screen and deliberately take one of these films head on. Well, I decided that this was going to be that time, and with the help of a very unlikely ally, I chose to start my journey here. Now, around this time, the fourth film in the Omen series went straight to TV here in the States, and they were running ads for it on Fox. I was curious. We were still in the golden age of video stores, so it wasn't like I was going to have a hard time seeing it. But it was a conversation with my own mother that convinced me to start with this. Turns out, she not only saw it, she also remembered pretty much the entire movie and at my own request, shared the information with me. That was it. I was in too deep. I had to actually see it with my own eyes, and see it I would. If I recall, it was on a sick day with some Wendy's to satiate my hunger that I sat down, probably with my aforementioned mother, and took it in. Wow. Why did I wait so damn long? I heard countless stories from other kids at school about Freddie, Jason, and Mike Myers, and I was always on the outside of it. Now... 
I was finally on my way inside, and I wasn't going to turn back. My own personal story, on the other hand, with this film is pretty damn pedestrian compared to some of the events surrounding the making of this film back in the 70s. Uh, The Shudder series, Cursed Films, best episode covers the eerie coincidences and tragedies that happen around this film. And you do yourself a favor just to watch that yourself, as I can't make these letters too long. But I can hit a few of the high points. Now, when director Richard Donner was trying to convince Gregory Peck to take the starring role of Robert Thorne, he had a lot of work to do. You see, Peck was on a bit of a cold streak with his film career, and on top of it all, he was mourning the death of his own real-life son. Eager to work, but maybe still too proud to willingly work on a horror film, Donner pitched it as a thriller with a satanic angle. The Exorcist was still pretty fresh on the minds of the public, so weighing his options, Peck accepted the role thinking it could make a big impact and get his career going and help him get over the loss of his own child. Adding Lee Remick and legend David Warner to the cast, among many others, and with a soon-to-be Oscar-winning score from Jerry Goldsmith, we were off to the races. Chances are you know the basic plot of this one. Kids the spawn of Satan, and terrible things happen to anything that may pose a threat to him and his rise to power, and those things are impressive. The scope and spectacle of the kills in this film still hold up today as some of the most creative and, dare I say it, fun that I've ever seen. Keep in mind, novelty deaths existed before it, but this one really led with it, and wow, did they ever deliver. Hell, for better or worse, the entire Final Destination series owes its entire existence to the kills in this film. You would not have those movies without The Omen. Period. I think I really chose a winner to start my journey with, and if you haven't already done so yourself, then correct that sinful omission from your soul and see this. I think it works on pretty much any level you care to view it on, and I stand by my statement. I might even go so far to say that you could possibly show this to a non-horror fan due to its high-quality and quote-unquote accidental approach to how the kills occur. Maybe I'm wrong, but then again, I think it's a safe enough bet. So, great cast, great script. Great kills, and one of the most chilling scores ever seen on film. You'd be a fool not to check this out. As for me, I think I'll probably take my leave about right now. Looks like a huge pack of Rottweilers have gathered on my lawn. Look like they want to play. I hope my new cologne, a la steak, is a hit with them. See you next midnight, Jake. Yeah, I mean, he summed it up perfectly. This is, there's a lot has been said about The Omen. We're going to say more today and probably some of it you've heard before, but um, it's a classic. You know, this is not, we like to switch it up on our pod. You know, we're not going to just do the so bad it's good or just the little indie gems or whatnot. Sometimes you got to talk about, as he said, the cornerstone horror movies. Um that pun intended spawned a lot of other 
satanic movies after this that came well into the 80s and 90s um, and even the 2000s of today. If I feel like if The Omen isn't made, there are not other Antichrist films. We're just talking possession films. Yeah. So this is the one, in my opinion, that when you think of satanic panic, no, I'm going to disagree with you. It's not The Exorcist that started it. It's The Omen in terms of satanic panic in the media. Carrie, any other thoughts before we talk about the movie poster and tagline? Nope. Uh, I mean, not at this time. I'm going to save my my stuff okay. a little later. So <laughs> they're all sitting there thinking, I did not expect them to go on a rant about comparing the Omen to the Exorcist. Uh, but I, this was in my head from the get-go, the moment I was chatting Jake about the episode guide. Um, I always heard it's like they were married together the omen and the exorcist and i just never understood it other than the fact that the devil's involved but that's like we'll get and we can even talk more about this later on in segment two when we talk about segment two for and we normally hold off to tell people about segment two to the end but i'll bring this up in case you're interested to hear this different perspective on all this uh, segment two we are actually going to read the Omen Part 4, at least part of it, um, called Armageddon 2000. I love the turn the turn of the millennium themes uh, when people were writing books in the 80s and 90s. But um, They always thought everything was going to end in 2000. <laughs> the Y2K scare. The devil's involved with my computer. My power Mac's going to get fucked up by the devil. Oh, um, I remember that. Yeah, we talk about panic. Yeah, so um, about... The whole premise of the Office Space movies, them changing everything over for Y2K. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the the plot in Armageddon 2000, I started reading this, Gary. Actually, was a, this is a fun book. And uh, it's a hell of a lot better, in my opinion, as are most books compared to movies, I guess, is the argument, uh, than the made-for-TV Omen 4 with the little girl that we got. So anyways, and then after that, after we kind of read, we like to read the the uh, taglines and the the back cover and some of the preface um, or prologue and notes by the author. We'll move on to top 10 uh, Satan and horror movies list. I don't know how else to say that. And just because there is Satan featured in each of these movies that we'll talk about later does not mean that they are all the same. No. And, and that's my argument to make when comparing The Exorcist and The Omen. And it's just a preference. It's not like, oh, these are everybody's top 10. No, this is like my top. No, we surveyed the entire earth and this is everybody's top 10. <laughs> this is my we top. We did the stat work. No. Um, so there are, actually, I, when I went and I researched the posters for The Omen, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised that there is as many out there as there is because, again, this is a global movie, and it was global when it came out. Um, the classic one, the American one, there was really two. The very simple kind of orangey-red colors of the Omen title on there with the little Damien and his shadow as a jackal, um, and it says, You have been warned. That leaves a lot to your imagination to fill in the blanks. I mean, the 666, it's like you get it. I wonder at the time. It gives a lot of the movie away. Yeah, I wonder at the time, though, 
if people really were un- into understanding the 666 or this was a new concept. I know it's in the Bible. It is. If you were religious yeah. in the fact that you read the Bible, which I do have family members that used to read the, the Bible on a regular basis. <laughs> There's some person out there that said, why are those nines upside down? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So... The next poster takes that thought of you have been worn, and it's got Gregory Peck and Lee Remick with that same Damien Jackal shadow. And it, it kind of expands on this line of thinking. It says, if something frightening happens to you today, think about it. It may be. And I like that one, too. That's kind of that, chilling. That's my favorite. And it does speak to the accident, quote unquote, accidental deaths throughout this movie. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this next one um is a little long-winded okay but i wanted to mention it because this one this next one is the uk release poster um and i can imagine being in the subway in london and like killing time and reading this long poster thinking oh this sounds really good what's this all about so i'm I'm on the london subway and i'm like okay i'm on my i'm on my way I got this this Bobby sitting next to me in the subway. <laughs> cop. A Bobby's a cop. Oh, I was I thought you were literally This guy named about, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby's world. <laughs> it's the listen. That went over. The my poster head. says it is the greatest mystery of all because no human being will ever solve it. And that's that's very Hitchcockian. It is the highest suspense because no man can bear it. It is the greatest fear because it is the ancient fear of the unknown. Okay. It is a warning foretold for thousands of years. It is our final warning. It is the omen. And I see, read all that and it's chilling. And this is like, okay, subway 1975 in London. I see, wow, Gregory Peck is in this horror movie. I'm game for this. I can't wait for this to come out in the cinema. So the next one, I want to include this one because this gives you a flavor of the buildup to when the Omen came out. This is the special advanced screening poster that came out. Um, Feel suspense, fear, and mystery at a level you have never experienced before in a movie theater when you see the Omen. Because of the, and then it's got the warning. Okay, yeah. I love this part for advanced screenings. This is this is all very Hitchcockian because of this excuse me, because of the intense subject matter of this film, we recommend that you use discretion in bringing children to the screening. <laughs> and you I have to know when this advanced screening was. Um, yeah, June 6th. Yeah. Which is very important in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know, things were, I, I, well, we weren't alive, but I'm even thinking of our childhood when things were so innocent, especially from the point of view of a younger person or a child, Reading that, people weren't as jaded back then. People were a little bit more naive and innocent back yeah. then. And the omen hadn't came out yet. I mean, people knew of the exorcist, and they're like, okay. We're not just talking about, like, this little girl gets possessed. Okay, we're diving right into a global terror. Like, this is the fucking Antichrist, and he's here, and we're that's what this movie is about, is the, the shit's about to go down. This little kid's about to fuck shit up. It- <laughs> And and and, all and it's honesty, biblical and it's, it's just it's it, epic. It's epic, it's iconic. You have 
and this actually does give kind of it gives you the father's experience it gives you the mother's experience perspective Mm -hmm. but it also gives you the child's perspective oh yeah so it's not just one perspective you're talking about a family of perspectives a family crumbling plus Um, an outsider's perspective you're right yeah there's like four to six different perspectives going on you've got the church's perspective you've got the cult's perspective the family the father the mother the child the nanny everybody involved the outside of the photographer's perspective the church yeah the church you yeah. said that yeah so moving right along i'm going to talk about one more poster i know i know we normally don't do like five posters but the turks were spoiler hounds google people the omen turkish poster and if you haven't watched the omen don't and of course don't listen to the rest of our episode before it's been out long enough. We talk spoilers pretty much every episode. Um, this one says the omen, Kihanet, and Kihanet translated means the prophecy. And kudos to the Turks marketing or the marketing team for Turkey to featuring the characters. I just would have had their heads on there, like Gregory Peck and Lee Remick over the graveyard instead of the city skyline. I'm very confused by them featuring a city skyline in this. There's not too many things happening in the city other than when he's at his job of the ambassador. So anyway, I just thought that was a very different poster, very colorized compared to the black, white, and red. It shows one of the deaths. The, it shows two of the deaths. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, And the the one death that actually isn't even accurate on here. He doesn't. He doesn't have the clothing that the person would normally yeah. have on. So um, interesting. But yeah, it's like if I'm in Turkey and I see that, I'm like, okay, well, I just know what happens in half the movie. Yeah. Why would I watch it? <laughs> Dang spoiler hounds. Well, unless in Turkey people were not as exposed to this sort of movie and that they were feeling the need to over-explain situations in the movie or what happens but they spoiled the shit out of this one way back in 1976 turkey beware um let's talk about the taglines okay there's our there's our final warning okay not even just you've been warned that's what i mean by global this is like the antichrist is here and affects everyone yeah it is the greatest mystery of all because no human being will ever solve it. That was on one of the posters. The other ones, like I said, if something frightening happens to you today, think about it. And then, but this one goes further and says it may be the omen. And the other one's more of a warning. Now, this one I like with all the question marks. I think this is my favorite. Okay. Who is he? What is he? Should we fear him? And I think this was in one of the trailers. Can we stop him? Is he a warning? see the beginning of the end and it just it amps up the paranoia factor in this carrie how about some of these next ones if you see one picture this year it should be the one you'll never forget (laughs) very happy about that well i mean it should be the one you'll never forget Uh oh the steward voice is back steward the stewardess (laughs) you're a steward of these taglines Today is the sixth day of the sixth month of 1976. You have been warned. How about the next one? (coughs) Say this one in your stewardess voice. (laughs) Please. Good morning. 
You are one day closer to the end of the world. You have been warned. <laughs> I like the the good morning. What if I saw this tagline and it wasn't good morning? <laughs> what if it was the evening? But it is good morning. Uh, today is the day I see the Antichrist. <laughs> it is the greatest mystery of all because no human being will ever solve it. It is the highest suspense because no man can bear it. It is the greatest fear because it is the ancient fear of the unknown. It is a warning foretold for thousands of years. It is our final warning. It is the omen, and it is long-winded. It is. <laughs> What's Those the last one? Those who foretold it are dead. Those who can stop it are in grave danger. I like that one. What's your favorite one? It might be that one. The last one? Yeah. Yeah, it's got a biblical it, way of saying it. And a, and a, it doesn't give anything away. Yeah. It's simple. Just, yeah. Um, so physical media and streaming, I like your choice. Um, and the long-winded one, I always found it funny when the old movies have those really long-winded taglines or ways of marketing it. But it's just like my favorite poster that was long-winded. The one, the British one or the UK one. It's just kind of like, okay... If I have to wait for the movie, we didn't have YouTube or the internet back then to really dive deep. So it's like you had to enjoy the posters that were around. Like, yeah, did you see that poster? The posters <laughs> were the marketing exactly. platform. That's what I mean. Did they? I want to know. Did they Pre have previews to other movies? Did they have a poster, like a big billboard of the Omen and Piccadilly Circus? I don't know. Maybe they did. I'm going to have to Google 1976 Piccadilly. But uh, physical media and streaming, let's talk about this one a little bit because I think this is important. I, I want to guide people to what, in my opinion, is the best choice. So you go on there and you get trigger happy and you say, wow, they've got it for Prime and I'm going to get this in two days. So if you go on Amazon, they've got the special edition for $17.99, but that's just the DVD. If you're the Blu-ray hound and you're like, I love the Omen uh, or I want to have multi-format, you're going to pay a good bit for this movie. $20 for the Blu-ray, and um, the multi-format is $37, which is a lot. So I'm going to say don't, just don't go there. Like, if you want to get um, The Omen, I would either do one of two things go on ebay get like a used and like new or very good condition for like three to six bucks or you can do what i did and actually i'm going to take back what i said earlier find the omen collection on blu-ray because you get four movies you get omen one two and three and the omen remake and look i'm not a huge fan of the remake but it, it, it does have Leif Schreiber and Julia Stiles in it. And it's I solid. I in enjoyed terms of remake, it more than you. Yeah. In terms of a remake, it doesn't get talked about that much because people are always like, yeah, the Friday the 13th remake is good or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is okay or or uh, Fright Night is very good. And I I yeah. agree with all of those sentiments. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's okay. It's not bad. It's not great for me. It's it's a remake. And it's like when you watch, it's like, eh, probably should have just watched the original. It, it It's very similar to the original yeah and i think that's why it doesn't get talked about there was nothing different that it brought but with i think a story like the omen can't really bring anything new no and so if you really really have to have the omen for made for tv movie 
you can get it on eBay for about three bucks. <laughs> so I think you could probably have other means of finding that one very easily for free, if you know what I mean. Um, not that I would advocate that. So the director, Carrie, I'm just going to move right along to Richard Donner. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot already said about Richard Donner. We mentioned how the Omen was really his first big one. He earned the way to make the Omen. Um, imagine him getting the score to his first big movie and hearing that for the first time. And it wins a yeah, it, the Academy. it was the only Academy Award that it won. Yeah. Um, Oscar, right? Academy Award. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you, you have to specify. You need more coffee. You have to specify. I did. The Academy Award is an Oscar. Well, there's other I'm getting awards. testy. I am. So, and of course, he went on to make Superman. Guys, you know, if you're Superman, um, Christopher Reeves fans, Superman 2, do the Richard Donner cut. Okay, there was a lot of drama around Superman 2. Um, you can't go without mentioning Scrooge. So. Yeah, but before that, you can't go without mentioning the Goonies. Oh, I was just going to say. The and of course, Lethal Weapon. Weapon. He did all four Lethal Weapons, I, not just the first couple. I mean, kudos. Hey, I enjoy those movies. Hey, you know what? And not only just the Goonies, but Cindy Lauper's The Goonies Are Good Enough song. He did the music video to that, which is really cool. It is really cool. <laughs> um, he did the movie Lady Hawk the toy inside move. So, I mean, when you look up interviews with Richard Donner, there's two things that are going to happen. You're either going to do like what Jake was mentioning in a segment, the cursed films, or he's going to talk about the curse or he's going to talk about the score. Um, or he's going to talk about a lot of people are out there. And if you're like me, you've been on the message boards way too much. How this is, this is not a movie about the Antichrist and it's about paranoia and like, oh, the kid's not really the Antichrist. It's just all these people are freaking out with paranoia. And I just wholeheartedly disagree with any of that. You, okay. Even Richard I, Donner tried saying that. I'm going to say this. And that this isn't a horror film. Bull. I call bullshit. I'm going to say it's this. It's a horror film. The simple fact that you have where you see in his head the birthmark. Six, six, six. But you could even explain that away. You could explain that way, like a weird birthmark. You could be, it's a stretch. I agree with you, but it's I'm just saying I'm playing devil's advocate. Here, Here's where I drop the paranoia idea and I move on to the um, it being real. Forget about the jackal in the graveyard and the ba his actual baby being killed because you could explain all that away this movie is actually pretty brutal it's, by the way it's dark very sinister sinister is a good word for the omen um forget about all that i want to talk about otherworldly and supernatural the animals reacting to him whether it be the evil animals the the rottweilers or the baboons freaking out ready to kill for him oh that zoo scene okay where they're driving through. Or the good... It's funny how they divided the animal kingdom in here. The good animals, like the giraffes, wanted nothing to do with them. They freaked out by him. The but baboons. the Rottweilers and the baboons is like master. The master's here. How can I serve you? Yeah, that's what it was. That's such a cool way to approach it. That right there has nothing to do with human paranoia and everything to do with otherworldly powers. And the scene where they're driving up to the church. Why else would he react that way? 
okay, but you uh, see, this is where I think the animals make a clear cut. You, any child at any time can throw a tantrum. And it could be how many times with our kids we've had weird coincidences or why did he freak out over that? You know what I mean? <laughs> Not that our kids ever freaked out being around church, but just, oh, you no, could they, still, enjoy, they enjoyed it. But just, you could, but you could just, you can explain things away because coincidences do happen. Freak accidents like heavily featured in this film do happen. You can explain freak accidents away. The freak out at the church. All these freaking out. All these people committing suicide and, and going nuts. Even cultists, you could just say, just because you're a cultist doesn't make what you're believing in true. Okay? That's why I'm like, okay, I could see why they would market this to the non-horror fans of like, oh, it's a suspense thriller about paranoia. Cool if you want to do that. I disagree with it. Disagree with it. And that's how Gregory Peck was sold. Well, but he, it, it was funny in the interview that we watched, he never once said the word horror. No. It was a suspense thriller. Yep. And he said, even the young folk like it. His kids loved it. His kids loved talking about the deaths in it. So even in the interviews, there, <laughs> yeah. here's the word horror. And everybody, including Donner and Peck, are skating around the word horror. Nobody will mm. say it at all. But they'll talk about everything that a horror fan talks they'll about. They'll say it was chilling, the death and the effects. Yeah. They'll talk about but all. But it's not anything but. It's not, but. Yep. It's not a horror film. Um, I'd like to go and find a more recent interview from the past 30 years. And I bet you he uses the word horror. Um, it's just funny that they skirted around it. Um, I'd like to go back and see what The Exorcist did. I would like to see him embrace, him embrace the fact that he did. Yeah. I think he has, probably over time. Yeah. But, um, Carrie, Gregory Peck. I mean, this is the same thing with Richard Donner, but times a thousand. We what? could have a whole episode talking about Gregory Peck movies. <coughs> Pardon me, yeah. We, we really could. What's your favorite role of his not named The Omen or To Kill a Mockingbird? It, it's it's got to be Roman Holiday. Uh, I really enjoyed Love him. Love Audrey Hepburn and him in together. Cape Fear. Yeah. I really enjoyed him in The Guns of Navarone. Navarone. Navarone, sorry. You were thinking of Nazareth. And I was. Why, I was. That's why you said it that yes. way. See, the Antichrist is taking over. <laughs> and But there's another movie that not, doesn't get talked about. And I believe it's one you haven't seen. Yes. Spellbound. I have not watched Spellbound. And I'm actually... Did I say Smellbound? You said spell noun. Spell noun. N-O-U-N. Um, spellbound. It's spellbound. Hitchcock. Okay. It's not one of his more well-known movies. Like, when you think about it... So we have the bet... The betch. The bitch. Are you... The be- <laughs> having a stroke, people. Listen... It's what? all for you, Damien. <laughs> the, uh, Damien, let me read you some Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> no, I bet you Damien would enjoy Alfred Hitchcock. Probably. There was at the 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 cults movie night. It's like, hey guys, we're gonna take a break from killing this week and watch Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> the uh, no, Spellbound is not on the best it's of Alfred Hitchcock. Not one of his well known. Yeah. Okay. Well, now you is, have me intrigued. It is a really, really good movie. It's. Uh, Gregory Peck's performance in that movie. Uh, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at me mispronouncing <laughs> everything in this episode. 
Okay, so I think the reason why it's not considered one of Hitchcock's more well-known movies is because it is a love story hmm. in a mental in, mental institute. <laughs> I'm rubbing off on you. A mental. Mental institute. Mm-hmm. It's a love story. Explain mental institute. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about essentially a patient who thinks he's a doctor is being come to be replaced by another doctor only to find out he's not really a doctor. So and he ends what up did being I just, treated. Jake, this is a shout out to you. I can't, I actually can't believe you're bringing this movie up. I had a mental block about it. When I was researching the ninth configuration that Jake just mentioned done by the director of the exorcist, it's, you can interpret it as that way. So full circle, you brought it back around to this movie that that movie references. It's a really good movie with the actor from the exorcist in the ninth configuration talking about the Gregory Peck movie spellbound. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a really, really good movie. You should really watch it. Yep. You people give me homework all the time. So, well, I do love my Hitchcock. Yes. So I, is the guns of Nazareth <laughs> is the gun- <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> I'm going to have a stroke again. Oh my God. Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> Taking people down. <laughs> guns of Jesus. Um, not today, Satan. <laughs> so um, is that because of your dad? Yeah. The guns of- I, I was figured. just going to say. I figured, yeah. Yeah. So Gregory Peck was one of those actors where you had my mom and my dad loved him. So if there was a movie that they both could agree to watch, yeah, it was it was fortunate. Can I just say that I love that I'm three degrees removed from Charles Bronson because of your father? I knew I married the right woman. <laughs> okay, I'm literally three degrees from Charles Bronson. I mean, maybe it's four technically. Uh, yeah, because yeah. do I have to include you in the degrees? I think yeah, I do. I think you do. Because I'm married. To, wait a minute. Let's do this. We're, and I'm going to bring this back around to Guns of Navarone somehow. I'm married to you. You are your father's child. Your yes. father has a friend yes. who was best friends with Charles Bronson. Yes. So that's five degrees, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Five degrees of Charles Bronson. You guys grew up not far down the road from Charles Bronson. Mm-hmm. And what's the name of that town again? Um, South Fork. South Fork. Oh yeah, South Fork is. In fact, South Fork has a really awesome Labor Day festival that I grew up going to. Some of the best food. Oh my god! Listen, don't get off track with the food. You mean pierogies? No, no. I mean, one day long ago, Charles Bronson was at the South Fork Festival eating pierogies. Homemade mountain pies made right in the fire, like a big barrel of fire. And, and like they make the mountain pies there and then they have other other items of course but i used to always go straight to that dance into the fire literally tasting fire mountain pies <laughs> but um, they had other stuff there too but that was my go-to that was the one thing i would get so we're on vacation this past july and at least every other day your dad walk walks up for walks up walks over for his first cup of coffee in his pajama pants 
and his Charles Bronson t-shirt that, that just you got says, him for Christmas that just says justice on it. So he I, loves that shirt. I'm so happy that your dad basically forced you into watching movies. At least the Guns of Navarone had Gregory Peck. And you're not sitting there watching the 50th Western or the 100 millionth episode of Gunsmoke. <laughs> I, listen, it's so bad that even he had playing Gunsmoke on vacation. And our kids were even like, oh, I've seen this episode before. Yeah. Like, this is where it's come to, where our kids now know It's done Gunsmoke. for. It's going to go on and on forever. Your, the, da- your dad's I, legacy will be. Zombie gonna Toots have... is going to be putting Gunsmoke on for his children. Yeah. We're gonna be we're gonna be babysitting, and they're gonna say, "Can you put on Gunsmoke?" And you're gonna be like, "No, <laughs> like, I can't escape." Yeah, and then your dad's gonna be up there laughing at you. So back to Gregory Peck's <laughs> filmography, because now we're really off track. So the great mine is this one, and it's a little bit of an oddity. It's black and white. It's called The Great Center. It's 1949. It is a classic gem, in my humble opinion, that flopped. Okay, um, it's got he's got really great chemistry in it with Ava Gardner. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. Nobody thinks about the Great Sinner. I think it's called The Gambler or something like that. But a great movie set um, in the Victorian era. I, I love I love the Great Sinner. I recommend that one to you. Um, and then I'm gonna go kind of on the other end of the spectrum of his career. I'm going with Sea Wolves. And your dad probably saw that and enjoyed that movie. And proving in that movie that Hollywood started using aging actors in action roles around 60, 70 years old, long before Stallone did The Expendables. Nobody thinks um, of these movies um, that were bookends to Gregory Peck's career. Everybody thinks, oh, what was his first movie? It had to have been like Roman Holiday, right? No, he he had some things going on well before oh, Roman Holiday. Yeah. So he was he in a lot of like Western movies. Yeah, um, I'm aware he did things well after 1980, but when you think of Atticus Finch, MacArthur, that 30 year time period where he was just churning out hit after hit, um, the um, the Great Center and the Sea Wolves are like the juxtapositions of bookends of the prime Gregory Peck years, which I'm going to say is like 19. 19- 50 to 1980. Yeah. So Carrie Lee Remick um, had a fantastic filmography of TV movies in the 50s, 60s, was in The Running Man, um, was in a groundbreaking detective movie called The Detective with Frank Sinatra about the death of a gay man Hmm. that doesn't get talked about enough. And the year before, she co-starred alongside Rod Steger and Hennessy about a man with the connections of the IRA plotting to kill Queen Elizabeth. Wow. Um, after the the Omen, the one piece of work that stands out to me is the 1987 miniseries nominated for nine Emmys called Nutcracker, Money, Madness, and Murder. <clears throat> she plays a socialite that's plotting to murder her dad. Um, I highly recommend that one. Brilliant performance by her. Um, so... The next guy that comes to mind when you think about the Omen, uh, the, it's really the third person after Gregory Peck and Lee Meremick, is David Werner. And this guy has such an... Uh, people outside of horror don't talk about David Werner, but you should know his name even if you're not a horror fan. Tron, Time Bandits, The Company of Wolves, the werewolf movie. Love those movies. Um, Waxwork, which you still need to see Waxwork, yeah. and it's a great, fun movie. Uncredited role in Straw Dogs. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, the Man with the Two Brains is another one. He actually played Frankenstein, uh, the creature in a 1984 made-for-TV movie. You still need to see the next one. I'm bring up My Best Friend is a Vampire. Uh, he actually played two separate characters in Star Trek Five and Six, And, of course, he put... <laughs> I'm going to have a stroke again. Professor Jordan Perry in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Um, and I remember when I saw that as a kid, I had already watched The Omen. And I remember being in the theaters and like, it's the photographer from The Omen. And pe- people are like looking at me funny. <laughs> oh, I probably picked up on that too because I probably saw The Omen before that too. Yep, same. Um, there is a great little 1979 flick that you need to watch. Not starring Frank Langella as uh dracula um about vampire bats called nightwing okay but i really would have loved to see david werner and other vampire flicks namely thirst about the elizabeth bathory kind of blood bathing legend and another 1979 vampire hit salem's lot oh yeah he would have been good in that he would have been, been very good let's move on to people don't th- really think about her as top billing holly palance check out her awesome movie with nick nolte night especially if you're going into journalism 1983's under fire nick nolte gene hackman and her three journalists and a romantic triangle political intrigue um in nicaragua during a revolution uh check that out she is the nanny that jumps out it's all for you damien that that's That's, her that's when you talk about deaths in this movie sorry what you're gonna spoil things ahead of our thing (laughs) i'm gonna say one very quick thing all right you're not don't you dare steal anything i'm not gonna steal anything okay it's gonna be my rottweiler after you (laughs) your hound of hell okay (laughs) i'll tame it Wait, what are we talking about again? <laughs> Your hellhound. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. All I was going to say is that you have to mention one of the deaths in the very beginning of the movie as iconic. Mm-hmm. And she does a great job in that scene. Cool. So that couldn't have waited for our favorite death and effects section? <laughs> no, because I felt like bringing it up now. <laughs> You're out of line and out of order. No, but I'm just joking with you. Favorite character. I just talked about him a lot. David Warner as Jennings, the photographer, the doomsayer. Turns up the the Forbodens volume to a billion. I've had a lot of caffeine and it's not working today. I just want to say that without David Warner, this movie isn't nearly as eerie. I love the scenes with him in in his red room. And by the way, can we get more red room scenes in horror movies? Because it oozes moodiness and atmosphere. It's beautiful to watch. Bring back the Red Room in horror. You could write a whole journal for David Warner's Jennings character. And if you read that journal, like if they made that into a book, it would be creepy as hell. Yeah. Um, He actually, Jennings' character might be my top five supporting characters in a horror movie ever. If not top three right alongside Jack and an American werewolf and Flyboy from Dawn of the Dead. And I would argue that he's more of a co-star in this. Oh, he's the third he's the third name. And, and actually he's got more stuff going on than Lee Remick. Yes, he does. Or or at least as much in my mind. It, it's <laughs> you have the relationship with 
uh, Robert Thorne and Catherine Thorne. Yeah. And then you have the child, Damien. You have that relationship going on. And then you have the relationship with Robert Thorne and Jennings, the photographer in this trying to figure out what the hell is going on and all this background research and their kinship bonding over this is almost as powerful as the breaking of the marriage. You're right. He's kind of like, <clears throat> the more his wife is in trouble, the more his wife is in mental and physical despair, the further and further he becomes away from her. Yeah. And, and, and and a lot of people don't dissect this movie this way. He go, he has to go back to Rome in this movie. He finds out his wife has been hospitalized. Yep. Um, she's that's in more danger. towards, she's in, I, I, I'm ready to watch this again. I'm like getting yeah. in the mood to watch this yeah. again. Um, he is bonding more with Jennings and he's losing touch with his wife and he she, she thinks she's, she's slipping. L- slipping. She's he slipping. thinks that she's slipping into madness. But she's getting fucking gaslit by all the help. And the doctors. And the doctors. It's a conspiracy to yeah. like make her think she's crazy and she get rid of the problem. She's not on board. Get rid of her. She won't get rid of this feeling that she's not crazy. So, Carrie, th- this sounds like you love Lee Remick. I do. I do. But is we, she your favorite? She is. But we have to mention Damien, played by Harvey Stevens, in my opinion. We have to give this nod to him and the fact that he was a child actor at this time. And the way he played Damien, it, it was spot on. It was so subtle, and I thought it was so mature. And of course, he had a lot of help, just like the adults had a lot of help. Um, but if you talk about creepy children in a movie, it all started here. I mean, it all started you here. You can't not mention name Damien. A, name a horror movie with a creepy kid before The Omen. It's very, very hard to think of one. Very hard to think it's of one. It's very hard. Dear listener, let us know. Was there anybody that started the creepy kid thing before Damien? I think Damien originated it. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get creepier than the Spawn of Satan. <laughs> no. And you almost, the movie, as it goes on, it almost makes you feel bad for Damien. Yeah, he didn't ask for this. He was just born. Yeah. He, he I'm was a jackal. jackal. Yeah. <laughs> you jackal. You jackal. <laughs> um, Jag off. I definitely, the scene with Gregory Peck and Jennings in the Roman graveyard very powerful scene and for me as i've watched this movie as a child as a teenager as a young adult to a mother that scene as a mother is so much more powerful than when you're just watching it as a child that resonates with if, and I'm just going to say this, if you've ever had, if you've lost a child, if you've miscarried, which is losing a child, in my opinion, you have attachment to find out that happened 
and you had no control, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's very heartbreaking. Well, I don't know too many movie reviewers that brought the mom's perspective. So I, as a dad, the one thing that I relate to now that I didn't, you know, before we had kids, you know, I watched this and loved it, that the, the cemetery scene was always the cre- the red room and the cemetery scene are the creepiest moments. I mean, the apartment scene was pretty creepy too, but the, those are my two and the cemetery one being the most creepy moment, but also the most um, unnerving, upsetting scene, Gregory Peck's anguish. But I'll tell you the one feeling that I came away from this movie as now watching it as a father, the absolute fury that comes over you as as a dad thinking about anybody trying to harm your kid and then the devastation if you feel like your kid got hurt and you did as a man this is just me as a dad and a man feeling like you weren't able to do anything about it that's how a man's mind works oh i'm not i'm not any kind of man i'm not any kind of real father because you know i wasn't able to to save my kid. And this is a kid that Gregory Peck's character, Thorne, never even got a chance to interact with. And he's still, that's how powerful the soul connection is, you know, to your child, to your child. Um, it's powerful and it's even more powerful if you have kids. And it, I mean, shit, nobody wants to see anybody get hurt, especially a child and then an infant and them showing the infant helpless. skeleton, helpless, just, it's really, really sick and it sinister. Really, it really uh, is. But it it builds the heavy tone of what Satanists would do in this scenario. And I actually think, and I'm just going to mention this. Heavy, heavy, heavy I stuff. I actually think Gregory Peck's reaction in that scene, the anguish, is actually real anguish from oh. his real life loss. Yeah. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, no, the, when his, when he wells up, his eyes get teared up and he wells up in that scene. It's, it, that, that one hits me pretty hard thinking about that. Um, and I didn't, I don't have the loss that he had and it's still, but it just, you put yourself in his shoes and Ooh, heavy stuff, people. Um, but so, the, and I'm gonna, this is going to come around to the point I'm trying to make Lee Remick who plays Catherine. Yes, she is my favorite in this. Um, and I'm just going to say, she does an amazing, I told you so. There is even a scene where she's talking to the psychologist or um, the doctor yeah. that she has her her weekly or bi-weekly meetings with. Yeah. She basically confesses that she has this feeling that Damien's not her son and that she knows she's crazy for thinking of it, but she has trouble bonding with him. There's a reason for that. It's her mother intuition that she knows he's not her son. So she was hoodwinked. Can we talk talk about how her being hoodwinked? Yeah. Gaslit by people too. Including her husband. 
Sorry. So I know, I know, I understand why you're passionate about it. And I actually am just as equally as passionate. What actually makes me mad in both the Omen 1 and Omen 2, and it reminds you how far we've come. The damn psychologists are having side conversations with the husband to like make sure she doesn't react this way make don't you tell it like basically like setting it up for the outcome that they want instead of actually addressing the real issue so the the husband having control over their wives back then and the portrayal of that is as uh, infuriating to me as somebody who grew up with women his entire life and i'd like to think as much as we joke about my chad side of me and i play that up for laughs or whatever it, it actually pisses me off <clears throat> to see that and and not only were things not it went from nobody talked about their problems to the 70s where okay we can talk about your problem but the men are going to decide what's best for you that, that pisses me off that really pisses me off um and it's unbelievable to watch it take place and there's probably guys in the audience well yeah that's how it works <laughs> listen I, I wouldn't call myself you know a feminist feminist but don't tell me what to fucking do. Exactly. Yeah. You're yep. not going to tell me what to do. And I've had relationships with people who have tried to tell me what to do. And I just basically give them the middle finger and say, fuck you. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> moving on to favorite character. Um, and actually, did we even talk? Yeah, favorite. No, wait, we talked about favorite, favorite death and effects is what I meant. So I'm, I'm going back to Holly Palance and, and I'm purposely, we can rave on and on about the top three build actors, but in, in my mind, she's a little side character and Gregory Peck made this point in interviews. Every single cast member steps onto that screen and the presence is felt and it's an A plus performance. Even the small, tiny part of Holly Palance holly uh the nanny it's all for you damon suicide at the kids party and she did it with the smile on her face and that uh -huh. was just devilishly gleeful it was like setting oh it my up God. for the next nanny setting it up for the next nanny but also that um satanic ritual of sacrifice to prove her love and loyalty. Love and loyalty. And it p helps to put the powers that be in motion. The evil powers that be. Okay, the sacrifice has been made. Let's go. Let's go to the next death and the next big thing. And we're raising the stakes. And the animals are going to get involved now. But they just needed that suicide to start. But, um, Carrie, how about you? Uh, it, it's, it's David Warner's death. I mean, the beheading with the sheep. The how about rock? the noise that the sheet makes yeah, as it's hit? And then how about, it's not just his head gets decapitated, it fucking rolls, rolls. midair backwards. And then you see it in the camera. The camera sees the heading and then the... He's looking at himself in the yeah. reflection after he's been beheaded. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> but I also have to give a note and honorable mention to the priest. Oh, yeah, that one that is gnarly. Scene, <laughs> and the fact that David Warner, the photographer, caught... Yeah. that on picture yeah. and he that's what that's what starts for him piecing it together with catching that line which basically he discovers is the pole is the pole basically it's it's foretelling what's going to kill him and that he caught it on camera and usually in old movies it pays off at the end 
or whatever, or they save the guy from that happening. No. It, it happens mid-film. And they cannot stop it. And you don't. When you see this for the first time, you're like, oh, that's not a good sign. That line through him means the devil's coming after him, and he's going to be killed, like a crossing him out. And the leading... Not that literally yeah. that's how he's going to die. And the leading up to that scene that it actually happens, it just, the paranoia, the suspense the thriller however you want to the storm the the storm that brews in the park leading up to that yeah it's like oh my god and even the priest realizes i cannot escape this yeah and the fact that well when when the storm starts he knows that that satan's coming after him basically yeah because he knows all of this and he's the one that can stop it and tell gregory peck what to do Mm -hmm. that is a good death and then you see and it just when the camera just stays on that deck for a long time. And how many times, and here's another honorable mention, because honestly, all the deaths in this are so profound. They are. Gregory, when does Gregory Peck die in a movie? Truthfully. Never. Not a whole lot, because he's usually the, the hero, top of the hero. Yeah, he's the hero. So just even that alone, I mean, him coming with the dagger and then you see his casket at the end. And they're like, oh, this is just the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for, when I think of the omen, the word is foreboding, foreboding, forebo- foreboding. Um, Carrie, we've talked about other. We're moving on to rating. Whew. We've talked about other popular horror films and gems. Um, Carpenter's The Thing, the Scream franchise, Evil Dead franchise. And we've rated things. Like even Watcher and the Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue and the howling between a four and a four and a half. But here we are, DFM fam. It took us 27 episodes and a half a dozen bonus episodes to reach this milestone and Dying for Midnight podcast. The Omen is arguably a perfect horror film. It brings non-horror fans to the horror table, something that The Exorcist arguably didn't do because it went for the hard-to-watch um, or queasy stomach shock factor. Yeah, it was shocking. Yeah, The Omen, A-listers, Academy Award winning acting, score, plot, setting, atmosphere. Carrie, what are you rating The Omen? It's a five. Perfect, perfect. I, I've watched this movie so many times. And as I, I said before, watching it as a child, a teenager, a young adult, to full circle me becoming a mother. Yep. There's... When you watch this movie as you grow and you change and your ideas and thoughts change, it's a completely different movie every time. I give this a five out of five. And yes, that is our very first perfect score of the season. And And some of you may disagree with us. Yeah, absolutely. And you're allowed to. Listen, for us, The Omen transcends genre has societal impact, religious and mental health implications that still resonate. To this day, it does not age, except for the sideburns and the clothes. <laughs> the Omen for us, A Dime for Midnight, is a perfect horror film. And of course, you guessed it, five out of five, perfect score, Medieval, medieval Pentacles. pentacles. <laughs> They're going to say tentacles. Uh, Carrie, bring yeah. us to intermission. So... Wow, five out of five. Hell yeah. We're going to intermission now. But before we go, (laughs) I knew you'd like it. The steward voice. Stewardess voice, Jesus. Don't forget, we have our Patreon goal tier for $4. 
And we are now halfway through the taste of the UK. Next up, episode 28, An American Werewolf in London. You know, the spirit of the alternate taste of the UK title. You and know, I, I hate it when Carrie, you know, when, uh, you know, she, let me put it this way. I use too many alternate titles and she hates it. Uh, because this month is also called. Jenny, Jenny Auger Awareness Month. Yes. Which we love in and, American War. And, and, and we are, okay, I, you're all sick of the themes. You're sick of my alternate titles. We're going to take a break in September from theme months. But, Carrie, it's, September is one hell of a lineup. Oh, it is. And I'm so excited for this. So excited. We have episode 29, Fright Night. Carrie, you need to watch Fright Night, too. I, we started to watch it a little bit. There's roller skating vampires in collegiate hallways and bowling with ghouls and werewolves. That's I'm all in. I have to say. I'm in. Okay. I'm in. Uh, episode 30, Burial. Mm, werewolves. Yeah, so it's kind of not really a were- uh, It's It is a werewolf movie, but it's sort of not really a horror movie. I don't know. Labels suck. It, it yeah. looked entertaining as hell to me, and we're going to talk about all it. All right. Episode 31, Double Day. This, uh, this one... I'm not going to spoil it, but if you haven't seen Double Date, do so. Yeah. Highly recommend this indie. Yeah, we sent this one to Jake because, um, you know, he saw it on the episode guide. And he's like, I haven't I haven't watched that and there's nowhere to watch it for free. I'm like, this thing, this thing's cheap. I got to send this to him it's so worth check it. it out. And it's he, worth it. He, he, he thought it was pretty good. Uh, undiscovered. Double Date is an undiscovered indie horror gem. We could have had that as Taste of the UK. We could have. About two killing crazed females giving two sex starved Brits more than they bargained for. Oh, yeah. Check it out for sure. Episode 32. We summon the darkness. <laughs> the Uno reverse back to you of <laughs> Satan panic. <laughs> Satanic panic. God. Rock and roll films with, uh, you know, great acting. Um, by the way, Johnny Knoxville was very good in this he movie. He was. So yeah. what what are, what are we doing to round out? We actually have five episodes in September. So this is one of mine. I, I love this movie. We've never had I, five episodes before. I love this more than you do, I think. I like it, but you love it. I love it. Daybreaker. We might have to fight over this one. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, come on. Ethan Hawke, William Defoe, and Sam Neill. I don't need to say anymore. Yeah, the vampire film focusing on societal breakdown, featuring those that awesome trio, basically, and um, blood supply. It's all about blood supply and reversing the vampire Vampirism. curse in a very interesting way. Which, if you think about it, com- Near Dark and Daybreakers are one of the few movies that actually show, and you would also say Lost Boys, the reversal of yeah. vampirism. Well, and here's the thing in Daybreakers. You don't have to kill like Patient Zero or Vampire Zero to reverse the curse. It's a new... And you know what? It's funny. There's not... There's not... There's nothing religious about Daybreakers. It's very scientific. It is. It's extremely scientific. It's a scientific take on vampires and societal take. And, and forget the crucifixes and all the lore and stuff like that. Very different take. It's it's fun. It's a lot of fun, I have to say. The creature effects in it are great, too, when you get to see those. It is it is heartbreaking. Parts of it are heartbreaking. Yeah. So what about October, Carrie? Okay. So episode 34, Friday the 13th. The original, not the remake, which, you know, the, the remake wasn't half bad, and we did go to the movie to see... The movie theater to see that that's right we're kicking off october is we're back to the theme months halloween 25 8 366 to emphasize that at least here at dfm and i know a lot of you 
we celebrate Halloween pretty much year round. We've already decorated for Halloween. Oh yeah. So what about what's what's next after? Because I know we've got some episode thirty five is a pretty big episode. Oh yeah, and it's a fully extended episode. And I do Jake, mean fully. <laughs> the Midnight Traveler, he's joining us to talk about the unofficial nineteen eighty four Crystal Lake Massacre trilogy, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, Part Three, and the final chapter and yeah we're gonna talk about the 3d effects we've all seen in a 3d um and carrie we're gonna give out awards this october to our favorite friday the 13th characters um from what most call the best four of the entire franchise no matter how you rank them what's next after that because that i I swear to god that might be a three-hour episode uh, it's gonna we're gonna i don't we're gonna have to do i I don't know that's gonna be hard to narrow down you're welcome (laughs) Only here at DFM do you th- review three movies in one episode. <laughs> never before done. And probably never again. <laughs> we didn't even do Scream. Like, yes, we did. Movies. Oh, yes, we did. Not three movies together. Yes, we, we did. We did two back. We did. Aha. Uh-huh. We did Scream one through three in one episode. And You're we right. did Scream four, five, and six You're in another. right. You're right. Jesus. No, we did four and five. And then and we, we did, did just for six. Mm-hmm. So anyways, before we go on a okay. Scream rant. All right. John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Another Satan movie. Yep. Oh. And then episode 37, Jake again joins us for another full episode of his... Zombie, one of his favorite. One of his favorite zombies. <laughs> Just one. He doesn't like all the other zombies. Just one particular <laughs> zombie. Yeah. Yeah, so you get it. The Return of the Living Dead. Minus those damn enchiladas. And if you get the enchilada reference, you've watched Friday the 13th Part 5 too many times. Or you've spent too much time on the Reddit boards. Which but you have done. I digress. Uh, Return of the Living Dead. Do you want a party? Uh, Carrie, what do we got for segment two or et cetera? So we're going to touch on the Omen 2 lightly. Lightly. Correction, Damien the Omen 2. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> I do I need to be... We have um, the Omen 3. The Final Conflict. But we're also going to read a little bit from the original plot of The Omen 4 before the made-for-TV movie thing. With the girl, yeah. Yep. Uh, What else? And then we're going to talk about my top 10 favorite, you want to call it Satan? Satan or Spawn of Satan movies. Satan movies. The Satan subgenre. Antichrist movies, I guess, to say more. Yeah. So we love you guys. See you for segment two. Uh Uh-oh, this looks dangerous. Will they see that car? Think I better have a word with those two. That wasn't very clever, was it? If you'd been looking and listening all the way across, that wouldn't have happened. That's better. Remember, always use the Green Cross code, because I won't be there when you cross the road. Here's how to remember the Green Cross code. First, find a safe place to cross, then stop. Stand on the pavement near the curb. Look all round for traffic and listen. If traffic is coming, let it pass. When there is no traffic near, walk straight across the road. Keep looking and listening for traffic while you cross. Hey! Well, now we'll all remember the Green Cross code. And use it. Splink! Okay, guys, we are back. 
and I am going to kick off Horror Etc. by reading just a few parts of the Omen 4 Armageddon 2000, which Jake, thank you buddy, was kindly enough to send this to me when we were kicking off this podcast earlier this year, by Gordon McGill, who was also author of the Omen 3. And um, it's interesting, they've got the daggers of Megiddo on the front covers. Which are the only daggers that can kill Damien. According to the lore of this franchise. It's kind of a very... It's funny how the con- the continuity is great. Throughout the movies. With the Omen. Yeah. But it's still kind of odd to call it a franchise. Because it doesn't have like a front creature monster. Um, I mean, the Antichrist, Although, I guess, you would have to... You could... You can't watch the second movie without watching the first movie. No, let me say this. I, I want to hear from the listener that says, what's your favorite franchise? And everybody's like, like Jake was talking about. Yeah, there's like, yeah, I like Michael Myers, the Halloween franchise. I like Jason, Friday the 13th. I like, you know. Evil uh, Dead. Evil Dead. Franchise, franchise, franchise. Nobody says, I love the Omen franchise. Nobody does. But it's a very, listen, the Omen 2 is very well done. The Omen 2 Damien the Omen 2. We're going to review that someday. We could probably do a bonus episode at some point. Um, I'll have to talk to Jake about that. And, and of course, the Omen 3. The Omen 3 is just meh. I love Sam Neill, but the final conflict, yeah. I don't, it's just, it's for me, you know how I describe it? It's not bad. Yeah. I, I can't get excited about it. If I had to rate it, it would be a three for me. Um, the Omen 2 is a 4 for me. It, That's how much I love it, the Omen 2. It's, it's very well done. Oh. The actor who plays Hollywood for Mannequin gets gets his in the elevator scene in that. Um, I, I'm i sorry. I had to throw in the Mannequin reference. The uh, the I, I have seen the Omen 4 made-for-TV movie one time. And boy, oh boy, is it. Just not for me. I don't know how many people it is for. That's all I have to say about that. But listen, before we get distracted, because we we don't want to go too far, because we're going to review those movies someday. But the cover for Omen 4, the original plot says on top of it, it's kind of tagline um, for this book by Gordon McGill, says the ultimate evil has returned. And I'm going to assume that this means has returned after the Omen 3 book by McGill, not the movie of Final Conflict. I want to I learn what those differences are there. Um, in the most terrifying, blood-chilling novel of, listen to this, out of all four books, the 7 million copy best-selling Omen series. I'm surprised by that. Really? 7 million copies. That, That's a lot of you. cheddar. Good for you. Yeah, man. How much of that went to Gordon McGill? Because I started reading this, Carrie, this Omen 4 Armageddon, and for the fourth chapter of a story, basically, it's very good. It's very entertaining. So one of, what's one of the first things you do when you pick up a book, a physical book? Let, let me turn, let me go to the back. I always read the back cover. Yeah, same. I think a lot of people go immediately to the back cover. So again, going with the Omen marketing, the world thought it was safe. The world was wrong. Damien Thorne, spawn of Satan, was dead. Slain, yes, slain, if I can talk, by one of the sacred daggers of Armageddon. Uh, Again, Megiddo. Even Father DiCarlo, his most brilliant opponent, 
believed the greatest threat the world had ever known was defeated for all eternity. Global scale. Only the innermost circle of Damien's disciples knew of his unnatural coupling, another word for banging, with a beautiful, helpless victim. Only they knew of the son born of this horrific ravishment. I like that word, ravishment. But now the boy was growing up, and already his powers could be felt. As the globe began to split in savage struggle, and the new emperor of evil mounted to the throne of hell on earth. Omen 4, Armageddon 2000. And again, people thought the world was going to end in 2000. And by the way, a special shout out to the person who owned this book before Jake went to Half Price Books and got it for us. Cheryl Williamson. If for some strange coincidence, you're reading this book uh, a long time ago and you're listening to us, which I doubt. <laughs> That's interesting. But... Shout out to you. Are you... Are you a maid or a nanny, Cheryl Williamson? Did you read this to research because the Antichrist is actually out there and you're helping to raise him? And by now he'll be a 20-year-old man taking over the world. Why? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm ridiculous Why? that way. Listen. There's male nannies. Cheryl Williamson knew the truth. That Paul Buer, head of the world's richest corporation, who raised the son of Damien and was enslaved by him, she, she suspected the truth, okay, that... Carol Wyatt, the daring, dedicated journalist who used her razor-keen mind and superbly seductive body ooh, to track evil to its secret lair. Let me talk about my <laughs> secretly seductive body. <laughs> One man feared the truth. Philip Brennan. Cheryl Williamson, I'm on to you. The American ambassador to Britain who did not want to believe that the world stood on the brink of satanic destruction or that his own wife might be turned into a vessel of infernal lust. But who could save humanity when the boy grew strong enough to strip away his mask, to stand naked and tall in nightmarish triumph? Dot, 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 question mark. Again, not only is this Cheryl Williamson and not only am I freaked out by Cheryl Williamson because I feel like she's actually raising the spawn of Satan. Not only did she own this book, she stamped her initials on the bottom cover of this book. The Library of Cheryl Williamson. Interesting. I want that. Okay. I want a stamp. Well, C-E-W stands for... The cult of every woman on earth who wants to raise Damien. No, it's just her initials. I want an embossed stamp. This woman was serious about Armageddon 4. This is why I'm creeped out. She didn't just share it. She uh, wanted you to know that she had this book. She had this book, and I'm up to no good. And I it's in her library. I give this my satanic stamp of approval. And it's in her library. I want that. I'm jealous now. Okay. Better watch out for Cheryl Williamson. She's serious about this Omen 4 book. Now, am I ignorant? Is in Sharon Williamson Library actual? Can, how about when I start reading, you look up I am. the Cheryl E. Williamson Library. Do that for me because we could be sitting here having a laugh and it could be a real thing. Okay, I'm going to read the preface for the Omen. But before I do that, Carrie, are you seeing anything? No. Excuse me, folks. Nothing on Cheryl Williamson? I'm seeing a lot of Williamson. Yeah, there's a lot of Williamsons out there. So, 
Maybe we gotta track down Cheryl Williamson and ask her about her stamp of approval on the Omen 4 Armageddon 2000. So. Uh, here's an interesting thing. Okay. There's a Cheryl who's director at Williamson Free Public Library. Aha. Aha. See, we're sitting here having a joke. Now, I don't know if this is... Funded by Thorn Industries. <laughs> the Sharon. The Sharon. He says, sorry, Cheryl. Cheryl Williamson. The CEW. Funded by Thorn Industries. Nothing to see here. Keep reading the preface case. So, for six weeks, the disciples had stalked the woman. They watched her house while she slept, followed her to and from work, and waited for her when she visited friends. Since the death of their leader, their numbers had declined. Some had committed suicide. Others had given in to despair. It would not move from their rooms. But those who, blah, 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 who survived were obsessed by revenge and were the stronger for that. On the day she visited the doctor's office, two disciples followed her and sat beside her in the waiting room. They took note of her strained expression. She was obviously in pain, and they gloated over her discomfort. Miss Reynolds, the receptionist, called her <clears throat> and pointed towards the door. Slowly, with the gait of a cripple, she moved across the room and pushed the door open. A stranger looked up at her, a young doctor, fresh-faced and smiling. She blinked in confusion. Dr. Johnson has left the practice, he said. Won't you come sit down? She closed the door and sat by his desk. It's a sharp, stabbing pain, she said, pressing her lower abdomen, a sort of bloated feeling. She coughed, <clears throat> brought up bile, and apologized. Gently, the doctor led her to a couch and slowly examined her. When he had finished, he wrote a name and address on his prescription pad and handed it to her. This is a colleague of mine off Harley Street. He is a specialist in these matters. I want you to see him. He paused. Soon. She looked mutely at him for comfort. I'm sure it's nothing for you to worry about, he said. And she got to her feet. She winced in pain. Is there anything you can give? I'm sorry, he said sharply. I would rather not recommend painkillers at this stage. He watched her leave and saw the two men look up, closed the door, and picked up the phone. Get me Chicago, he said. As he waited for his connection, he smiled. In the midst of death, there is life, he said to himself. She lay face down on the operating table, her arms held up by two nurses. Her feet were tied into stirrups, forcing her legs apart. Her abdomen was bloated. The skin stretched and with the texture of a balloon. Her body convulsed rhythmically. She panted and looked imploringly at one of the nurses. It won't be long, said the nurse. The pain zipped through her body and she opened her mouth, the scream almost choking her. The surgeon reached for a scalpel. I'm going to make a small incision, he said. It will help to relieve the pressure. As he bent toward her, she screamed again, and the nurse covered her face with a pad. No more chloroform, he snapped. She needs to be conscious. Her body convulsed. It is coming, said the surgeon. Hold her. Her back arched, and she threw back her head to scream yet again. A howl of protest at the terrible thing that was happening to her. Then it was gone, out from inside her, and she flopped into the table, shuddering like a fish on a slab. The surgeon handed something to a nurse, gazed for a moment at the floor, as if in prayer, then moved to the door. 
He did not stop to wash his hands, but walked slowly out into the corridor. A nurse followed him to the door and watched him approach an old couple who were sitting on a bench. She heard the familiar, brutal words. We did everything we could. The old woman sagged against her husband. The tumor was just too big, said the surgeon. The nurse closed the door, turned, and took the bundle from her colleague. She gazed at it. It was a boy. Automatically, she curtsied then turned as she heard the slap of paws on the tiles. A large black dog, heavy-jawed, moved to her side. She laid the child on the floor, and the dog bent over, licking it clean. The child's arms reached for it, the tiny fingers grasping at fur, and the nurse thought she could hear it chuckle. She glanced at the dead woman and motioned to one of the others to cover the body. Her face wrinkled in disgust, but when she looked down at the child, she smiled. It's an abomination, she said proudly. In apartments and cottages and offices and factories, the disciples murmured their approval. Those who had despaired were now alive with a new hope. And in a monastery in central Italy, a priest named De Carlo sat up in his narrow bed, his body damp with cold sweat, awakening from a nightmare and the sure and terrible knowledge that he had failed and that the worse was yet to come. That's just the preface. <laughs> so, is there more information on Cheryl Williamson and the Cheryl E. Williamson Library? I, I see that there's a Michigan CEW library. Interesting. Which is about careers, and it's it's a lot about four women. Interesting. Um, there's a lot about the Woman's Guide to Surviving Graduate School, Women in the Academy Collection. Um, Satanic women? No. No. There's even stuff about resumes and... Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. If this was not Cheryl Williamson herself who signed this, dear worker at the library of Cheryl E. Williamson, why did you put the name down and sign it like a signature? Okay. Maybe it's her. Reach out to us. Cheryl E. Williamson Library, sponsored by Thorn Industries. <laughs> Carrie, now that I'm done previewing Omen 4 Armageddon, I really want to read this now. Um, what do we got for the top 10 Satan or spawn of Satan? Get ready. Okay. The Antichrist. What about it? You mean the movie with Willem Dafoe? No, I'm talking about my uh-huh. list of Antichrist yeah. movies. Yeah, you didn't bring up the Willem Dafoe Antichrist, the genital mutilation Antichrist. I think I've only seen that once. Yep. Once is enough. Yeah. I'm okay with it. It's it's art at the oddest form. Yes, it is. In my opinion. But anyways. So this is my personal list, okay? Go for it. Top 10. Devil. At number 10? Yeah, number 10. Uh, um, In the elevator... Where you have a bunch of people trapped. Uh, and somebody, it's kind of like, a, it's like Satan clue in an elevator, basically. It, it, who is the one? And you, it's not who you think it is. Yeah. And people slowly start dying. You know, that's when the of, lights go out. That's one of those movies I remember. We rented that on Redbox back in the day. And we were kind of like, kind of like, you know what? It's a new horror movie. It looks solid enough. And we watch them like, damn, this thing's entertaining. It, it kind of sneaks up on you. It's sneaky good. It is sneaky good. And I actually think it's one that doesn't get enough love. Agreed. 
Um, what about number nine? Number nine, The Omen 3, The Final Conflict. And you know what? It's Sam Neill carries this yeah, movie. I love Sam Neill. And it's not my favorite. And it's just okay. But in terms of Satan movies, it's a lot better than a lot that's out there. Number eight. I love this next one. Beyond the Door 3. And to be clear, yes, there's Beyond the Door 1 and 2. But it's not connected at all to Beyond the Door 3 or um, what is also known as a muck train. <laughs> A-M-O-K. Yes. Uh, the Satan on a train movie behind the Iron Curtain in Eastern Europe. What an odd Wanting movie. Wanting his bride. Yeah. It's actually a lot of fun, that it movie. It is. Okay. What number we seven. Ooh, we're a little horror adjacent, I think, with number seven. The Devil's Advocate. That, you know what? That's a fun movie. And if somebody said, what's your top five Keanu Reeves roles? Oh, I might have to put that up there in my it top is. five. It's one of his <coughs> better performances, for sure. In a way. If you have a problem with his accent in Dracula, mm-hmm. you might have a problem wow. with his ac- southern accent in here. That's my only knock yeah, on that. Yeah, and that is the only knock. But yeah. his performance minus the accent. the accent. The accent, funny enough, actually fades away as the movie goes on. It I was don't really know that he thick. needed to have the no, accent. It was really thick when the movie started and he's down south. And then it, it fades. It's almost like somebody might have even said to him, I don't know, I'm speculating, like, hey, you're in New York now. Like, Just not, over yeah. time, you would naturally he, lose the accent anyways. And that is true. So, um, but yeah, with Al Pacino, that's one of the, not only do I love Keanu Reeves in The Devil's Advocate, I love Charlize Theron in that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another Lee Remick type role character. I was just going to say, nobody the believes scene her. With her in the bathtub and Nobody everything and she's being driven mad yep this would be a great double feature with the omen the devil's advocate it's very similar actually yes. the more you think about it uh al pacino is phenomenal in, in this movie um it's a great one that's that's a pretty underrated movie about the devil now and maybe one of my top favorite actually satan in the flesh roles ever now this next one <laughs> people are gonna be like what what are you talking about? Two Keanu Reeves movies in a row. <laughs> Constantine. It's a fun one. That it's, is fun. I love this movie. And you have Rachel Weiss, who I love. Mm-hmm. She's in this. She actually plays two different characters, if you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. in this movie in particular. Okay, I'm listening. It's a very fun movie and it's got angels and it's got demons it's got peter stormare as lucifer it's got tilda swinton tilda swinton you have monster hunters and you have guess who else is in this movie you forget about um uh gavin rosdale is in this movie oh yeah okay guess who else is in this movie shia labeouf yeah i was just gonna say he plays like the monster hunter in training yeah it's funny. You don't think of Shia LaBeouf whenever you think of Constantine. But I actually really love him in this movie. Yeah. Ga- having a female as Gabriel was a cool call. It was. Swinton. That was. That was very cool. Yeah. That That's a good choice. I, I've got no problem with the Devil's Advocate or Constantine. Uh, this People next might one, question it because it does not get love. If you question those two, that's fine. Because I think we're bringing it. We're bringing the meter back around where you probably are going to agree with us here at number five prince of darkness oh yeah uh that's like some people and i'm included it it's it's like i'm waiting for kurt russell to come around the corner in this one but it forget about the big trouble in little china actors that are in this movie um 
Alice Cooper is in such a fun role in this film. Donald Pleasance is might even be more of a William uh, of a Doctor Loomis yeah. than he is in it's actually Doctor Loomis. Yeah, it's like just do Doctor Loomis, but as a priest, and you'll be great. And he yeah. was great in it again. And the wickedness about how all the characters get shut into that old church and how they're transformed by the evil green liquid. And can we talk about the ending? that leaves into him waking up mm-hmm. in a dream of I have to go and get her. That's very much a drag me to hell type ending. And I wanted to see a sequel. I wanted to see a sequel. I really did. So I do know that there's rumors by the man himself, John Carpenter, that he is doing a thing sequel. I don't know if you had to ask John Carpenter if there was ever a sequel you had to do to one of your classics. I don't know if he would pick The Prince of Darkness, but it would work. It, it, it would leaves totally it work. open for it. Yeah, there's so many things you could do with a Prince of Darkness sequel. Well, anyways, that's a great pick. I would like to see him go through time. Like she, and even the movie hints that she's from the future. Like she went through in time and then she. Yeah. This year, this is the year, and she's trying to warn him of the. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Prince of Darkness is quietly a great movie. It doesn't like people don't put that in their top Carpenter you, movies. It is one of those movies that you have to watch multiple times to pick up on different things. This is another movie that you could watch The Omen and The Prince of Darkness as a double feature, but just because of all the religious overtones. Number four. Number four. I really love this one. Damien, The Omen 2. Yeah, it's... Yeah, as Jake has said many times, the the trilogy is a great trilogy. And The Omen 2, I mean, it doesn't have the A-list names. I mean, it does, but it doesn't have Gregory Peck as his character dies. It's got an older Damien. We see a very young and still relatively unknown Lance Hendrickson in a small mm-hmm. role in this. The deaths are just as good in this movie as they the first are. one. It's, it's a very good, much a continuation. Good continuation sequel. And you know, I'm a sucker for part twos. So it doesn't end there. The Omen 2 is a great movie. If I had to rate it, it would. I'd have to seriously consider a four for The Omen 2. It's okay. that good. Number, Number three. three. Now, Classic. I know I've seen this movie. And I think we've watched it together once. I've watched it once without you two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, okay. I'm okay with it. This is a classic, it, it's, but I'm, I, I, it's not one that I feel the need to go back to many times. It's a slow build. And it's a little hokey. It's a little hokey for me. Well, it's the, it's when it was made. Think about, you yeah, have no, to agree. go back. Okay. For me, if you love older movies, yeah. if you grew up watching older movies, you have an appreciation for those older movies and for what at the time they stood for what groundbreaking things they did to open it up for other movies nowadays to come around Mm -hmm. so you have to appreciate those movies for what is done today yeah well and i think the time that it was made the late 60s and you know the the whole thing with Hollywood and Charles Manson mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the Rosemary's baby was the start of people getting accustomed to the idea that there's Satanists out there. Yes. Which 
Number three is do Rosemary's you, Baby. Rosemary's Baby is another one. He's like, it, do you really know who your neighbors are? Yeah. <laughs> and do you know why they're in your life? Yeah. It's, again, Ooh. the paranoia <laughs> of like, and I'm going to bring it back to that show that we watched, which I felt with that same similar archives. Was it 81? Oh, Archive 81. Yeah. yeah. The, the Netflix show. Yeah. Which I don't know if it's getting renewed, which kind of pisses me off. That, this is kind of reminding me of that, where your neighbors, who are your neighbors and why are they your neighbors? Why are they getting involved in your life? And what's the reason that they're getting involved in yeah. your life? Do you trust them? Can you trust them? This is that movie. You wouldn't have the that without this. Agreed. Rosemary Baby, the shocking finale of Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Of like... I mean, in The Omen, there's no furry devil creature with yellow eyes, but it, it is a shocking ending. Yeah, put yourself... It, it's such a gnarly ending. Put yourself in the shoes of a 1968 audience. Uh, how about the kid in 1968 that got to go see Night of the Living Dead and Rosemary's Baby in the same year? Yeah. What are you thinking in that year? I mean, you've got the horrors of the Vietnam War going on. You've got the Charles Manson, well, maybe not quite yet, the killings. Not quite yet. But Charles Manson, that that whole thing, there's the Zodiac Killer. Um, some say that he was a Satanist. Who, who the hell knows? But uh, anyways, what about, before we go on a Rosemary's Baby 1968 kick, what do we got for number two? One of my favorite newer Satanic movies. Yes. And is newer. Yep. But it's made with the feel of an older feel. Or as Todd Brown of Twitch Film in 2005 says, the American indie horror flick of the year. What else, Carrie? The House of the Devil, mm -hmm. which, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Yeah, that's the one that says, the opening title card says, during the 1980s, over 70% of American adults believe in the existence of abusive satanic cults. This film is based on true and unexplained events. By none other than T. West and the Academy Award-winning Greta Gerwig is the best friend. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and this and Jocelyn Donahue's amazing. Mary Warnoff's amazing in this. Tom the soundtrack. Tom amazing in this. As time goes by, this is one of the modern classics of the 21st century. And this Joe Bob right even featured it. Joe Bob featured it. Um if you want, if there is ever a movie that I felt I never, I don't need the DVD, or excuse me, I don't need, uh, and it's not 2005, by the way, it's 2009, uh, my bad. But um, if there's ever a movie that you don't have to have in high def or Blu-ray, it's this one. You could just get the DVD because it's it's all made to look like it was in 1983. Yeah, like it, it's, it feels like you're back in the 80s. Yeah. When you're watching it, it feels very much like you're back in the 80s. Which, the, if you're uh, a child of the 80s, yeah. which we are, mm -hmm. um, it, it's very nostalgic for us. I, I just love that when I look at her character, like even the wardrobe, mm -hmm. th this wasn't it, like, hey, it's it, 1980s, let's have loud music even and loud clothes. the pizza place yeah. was down to... Down to the red cups. Yes. <laughs> the, the pizza The greasy cups. pizza and the yeah. cups. That was the 80s. I really want to make a trip to a pizza. I know it's not the greatest pizza in the world anymore, but I, just for the nostalgia factor. House of the Devil. Hey, we covered it in our second episode before we 
knew at all what we were doing with the podcast. Yeah. We're going to have to revisit the thing in the house of the devils at some point. We're going to have to have like a bonus episode and kind of take a relook. But uh, Carrie, what else? What's number one on our top number 10 Number one, The Omen. Of course. What we just talked about. Yep. You, I mean, the ultimate antichrist. Let's face it. I mean, you feel bad for Damien. The movie makes you actually feel bad for Damien. The only thing he's guilty of is being born from a jackal. That's right. That he had no control over. And you see the conflict, but slowly over time, that conflict is erased because, well, you have the nannies. They're guiding him. They're guiding him towards these ideas. You have all the people that are like, Damien, it's okay, Damien. Feel free, Damien. Mm -hmm. It's okay. This is what you're supposed to do, Damien. Enablers, yeah. So anyways, guys, that wraps it up for segment two. Wait. Or not. Don't interrupt me i thought you were done you had a long pause <laughs> no i was just you had long jackal pause <laughs> what so there's some honorable mentions to oh us. yeah my bad okay and some of them are not movies okay All which right. is why they're kind of cheating though <laughs> i'm just messing with you a top 10 can be shows and movies all right, all right. i'll have to make this right with some movies at the end <laughs> the show good omens that is a good I show. actually really enjoy it. It's, it's comedic, but it's also... Religious. It's like a religious dark comedy. Global. Yeah. yeah. It's good. It, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Now, this is one you haven't seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, I swear it's like every two or three episodes you tell me I have to watch this. Blah. American Horror Story. Blah. No, thanks. It's, it's very well done. I actually think you would enjoy some of them. I really Some of do. them, but if I have to hear about Lady Gaga one more flipping this time. This is not the episode with Lady Gaga. This is not Yeah, that but I season. still have to go through a whole season with Lady Gaga. Bush, that's a later episode, uh, season. Mm, yeah. Trust me. Yeah. Trust me. The more you it, tell me about American Horror it, Story, the less I want to watch it. <laughs> okay. So in this one, you have the Antichrist being born. Mm-hmm. And here's the interesting. What, what season is this? I think it might be two. Okay, so in the fr- within the first couple. All yeah. right. So we've got witches to start, and then no. How does what's season one? Season one is like ghosts. Okay, so ghosts to Satan. Yeah. Okay, got it. All right. Well, we'll have to see. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay, those are TV shows, though. And then the next couple movies are movies, okay? <laughs> now, this is one I have <sighs> to mention. Oh, you had to mention it. I, I had guess. to mention it because Oof. I actually went to the Oof. theater to see this with my cousin. Oof, that's painful. In the summer. Oh, my God. End of days. Oh, my God. The concept of the movie was really it great. It is the end of days when you have to watch end of days. <laughs> okay, you have Gabriel Burns. You had... Oh, my God. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I like Excuse me. I like Gabriel Burns. You think those two actors, movie. those two actors in an Armageddon movie, you think that that would work well together? No. Yeah, it's no, kind of the, a mess. The writing, I think if the writing had been better, it would have worked. So... It was just... Yeah. All right. That's enough end of days. Blah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it does exist. <laughs> so I'm going to go... The Devil's Reign. Yep. And you want to go with the last one? No, no. You interrupted me. You just finish it. I'm sorry. No, you're not. Just finish the list. 
I, I've got too much American Horror Story in my brain to finish this list. Lords of Salem. I love that one. It's my favorite Rob Zombie film. I think you enjoyed it more than me, though. I think if you go back and watch it, in a weird way, it's got Texas Chainsaw 2 vibes, um, but it's much more heady um, and kind of like ancient evil. Pagan uh, is how I would describe that movie. Um, I got to go back and watch it. It's it's my, I love House of a Thousand Corpses. I really do. That's probably still my favorite Rob Zombie film. You're never going to get me to watch it again. It's a close second. Yeah, I understand. I get it. But eh, it's kind of, if you look at, if you look at House of a Thousand Corpses, I, I know it's a mean, mean movie, but it's kind of comical. It's, it's, it's actually kind of comical if you go back and look. It's, it's very, maybe comical isn't the right word. It's kind of goofy. It's kind of goofy. Come here. I mean, come on. Dr. Satan. Dr. Satan. <laughs> so anyways. And, and, and Dwight gets cut the hell up in it. <laughs> yeah. The office. All right, guys. That does it for episode 27. As we said, next week is Blue Moon. You saw me standing alone. <laughs> An American Werewolf in London. Love you guys. Peace out.